for those of you in the know, you'd know that when the Queen Bee of Crypto Art talks, it behooves us all to listen. And when the aforementioned Queen Bee, Judy Mam, reached out to me the other day with news of her upcoming NFT release for her novel Serves You Right, which she released uh, last year as Quien Te Manda in Spanish, I knew I had to do everything in my power to get her on the podcast. Because a conversation with Judy is never just a conversation about one thing. It spirals and glides effortlessly from topic to topic, and so, I'm happy to say, does our conversation today. Judy is a writer and also a brilliant thinker. Together with Beatrice Ramos, she co-founded Dada.Art, which, unless you've been living under a rock, you'd know was the first place to encode artist royalties directly into a smart contract, which was for their 2017 Creeps and Weirdos NFT drop. This was back when rare art was still the Vogue nomenclature well before Artnome first used the term crypto art. Judy was instrumental in setting to paper many of the ideas crypto art today holds dear, and I implore you to seek out her and Bea's The Invisible Economy series of essays on Medium if you want to dive into the incredible minds at Dada's forefront. We are huge fans of Dada and huge fans of Judy at the Museum of Crypto Art, and our conversation today takes us to a whole lot of places. We obviously discuss Judy's book, the challenges of writing a blockchain-based book in the first place, the way tech is or isn't evolving to meet the novelist's needs, we also talk about crypto art's internal class struggle, about crypto art's struggles with sexuality, and we talk about Mohara Gonzalez, the early Dada artist and crypto art legend, in addition to much more. I hope you're excited to hear our conversation, but know that you couldn't possibly be more excited than I was to have it. And so here's my uncle Ward's conversation with Judy Mam on this week's Mocha Live podcast. Good evening, everybody. It is 5.01 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. My name is Max Cohen. I will be one of your hosts today for the Mocha Live podcast, and I'm really happy to be here. Joining me, as he does every week, the co-founder of the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art. Co-founder or founder? What do you prefer, Colmar? I've never asked uh, you. I don't, I don't really care. I just work here. Somebody who works at the Museum of Crypto Art, Colborn <laughs> Bell. Colborn, how are you today? Mega founder. I'm doing great. Thank you. Excellent. And then joining us, our special guest for this week's episode of Mocha Live, one of my favorite people in all of crypto art, the co-founder of Dada.art, and by far one of the most instrumental individuals in the creation of modern crypto art, Miss Judy Mam. Judy, we are so thrilled to have you on the pod. Thank you for being here. How are you? I am so thrilled to speak to you guys. You're some of my favorite people. I love you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Love you. Our, absolute pleasure believe me so one of the reasons or there are many we could list all day for having you on the pod this week is that you are releasing a book on the blockchain this is a translation uh called serves you right your new novel there's a translation of Quintamanda, which you released last year in spanish mm -hmm. uh, and then have now translated for uh english speakers like me which i appreciate um so we wanted to have you on to talk blockchain of course uh writing on the blockchain data i imagine we're going to get into a whole lot so let's just start yeah. um Underneath, you know, on your kind of announcement page for um, Serves You Right, which you are releasing uh, with Ferragosto, you said, for me, it was essential to experiment with an innovative model for literary publishing consistent with my experience as co-founder of Data. Um, the art is by renowned Mexican crypto artist, Mohara Gonzalez. Shout out, Mohara. Um, the, the concept design and editing are by Ismael Gomez Garcia, founder of Ferragosto. The UX design is by Alvaro Oquenzo. 
the English translation by you. Now we've seen things like mirror.xyz where articles can be written and then minted as like collectible stories. And um, we've seen like lit project number one, which is Neil Strauss's Survive All Apocalypses, which is a PDF minted on the blockchain that was interactive. You could turn the pages, but I'm curious, like what attracted you about the possibility of minting this book on the blockchain, especially because to my knowledge and in my experience, we haven't really seen this be, it's not been unsuccessful, but it's been kind of unexciting to this point. <laughs> yeah well you know it's like it's it's all very new it's 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 still very early and and I, it feels to me very much like it felt in 2017 when when dada we tokenized the crypts and weirdos and no one knew exactly if there was going to be a market no one knew if there were collectors for this no one knew that things would be costly or not costly it was just an experiment and and I, you know, I feel that it can do exactly, you know, publishing books as NFTs can do exactly for, you know, I think for literature or for the publishing industry, like what NFTs did for art. It just opens a whole new, different way of, of publishing that has a lot of, like, I think, advantages, like the same as, as in art, in, in a way, um, you know, like, the publishing industry is like right now is basically uh, controlled by giant monopolies. I think it's two gigantic monopolies. Yeah, it's Penguin Random world. House and Simon and & Schuster, I think. Yes. And that's just and I, I don't even know if one all actually owns the other. As yeah, they as, might. You know, it's just this. And it's not only in the English speaking world, actually, it's also in the Spanish speaking world. And I don't know if in other places, but I am assuming. And so the same, you know, with the creative, creative people always have problems with gatekeepers. There's always the problem of like, how do I get a book published? How do I get my art to be seen? How do I get my song to be heard? How do I, you know, and I think Web3 is one of those places where at least there are different options. You know, it's more peer-to-peer. -peer. It's, it's about, for instance, for independent publishers that are struggling tremendously uh, because they just cannot corner the market because everything is like cornered by these gigantic monopolies that don't take risks on new writers for the most part that, you know, just keep like paying the big bucks to the big writers like, I don't know, Stephen King or whatever that, that you know, like it's like a crazy business of like what sits on a shelf of a, of a bookstore. Uh, you know, it's like a supermarket. It's that kind of uh, really like muscle uh, so small imprints, young, you know, like new writers, it's super hard. And uh, when the, the reason why um, I thought about it is because my book was first published as, as a conventional paper book by, by Ferragosto. And, um, and it was actually Bea's idea, I have to say, because I wish I could take credit for this, but uh, she said, like, you should publish this as an NFT. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that? But I, I went to Ismael um, and I said, how about we publish this as an NFT? And this, like, the book, the book, I believe, the paper edition, I think was published in 2020 or 2021. I never know mm -hmm. if anything happened, so please bear with me. The only thing that I know that happened was 2017. We tokenized the creep somewhere. Everything. <laughs> so in any case... Um, when I said to him, we should do an NFT, I didn't know if he was going to say, well, you know, I don't know what an NFT is or, oh, no, like NFTs are evil. And he like he didn't blink. He said, let's do it. 
because he happens to come from digital publishing and mm -hmm. uh, he understood he understands like also the limitations of digital publishing which is basically you know you get a license to read you you know you buy, you get a kindle and yes you can have 500 books in your kindle and that is wonderful but you don't own those books you're basically renting a book you know mm -hmm. you you can't really do anything you cannot collect them and uh, and it's also like apparently not like the greatest business model so that entire that entire industry i think is in dire need of of innovation you know and um, and i feel that you know books are really challenging because number no, number one no one reads <laughs> number two i mean it's really difficult to get people to read but not, not only that but books like the files are different it's a matter of how you present a book and the reason why you may think it it was unexciting until now um, is because you know yes you could do a pdf that may have like some nice little bells and whistles it's still a pdf we uh with, with uh, Kiente Manda uh, and also with Serves You Right, we tried to design a, a book, a, a digital book that is more, you know, that is more exciting, that is more sexy, that has art in it. Uh, we intend to curate, you know, the, I, I love this part because I'm, you know, I'm partnering with, with Ismael also in this venture of Ferragosto NFT books. Uh, and I'm going to be curating the art that goes with the, with the text that we eventually mm. That we eventually publish and so it's a nice marriage of of like subject matter and and visual art at the same time we're going to be uh, publishing the, the beautiful thing about being able to do this you can publish a book you can publish an essay you can publish poems as people have done very nicely and very excitingly i think like sasha and the verse uh the verse verse that have done beautiful beautiful stuff with poetry and so you can do like a short story, one short story. You could do you could do installments. You could do you you could release chapters. There's a lot of like fun things that can be done, uh, and also add a number of things like with this uh, with this book, like an animated cover, like an mm. uh, an animated index. You could add all kinds of different digital files if you so wanted, like voice or like animation or or some really nice digital design. So it's a different, you know, it's still literature, it's still reading, but it lives on Web3. Uh, you know, uh, people can actually uh, have a community around these, these books and um, it will have the same kind, I, I hope, like the, the same kind of vibrancy that in the actual like book world, you don't really feel because it's kind of, it's kind of like ancient, you know, like, okay, you go to a book reading and maybe the writer signs your book. That's the end of the story. The other thing that we want to do is uh, we're going to be publishing stuff, but we also want to create like a marketplace to give uh, independent publishers or publishers uh, a contract in which they can mint their own books and have mm -hmm. a storefront and uh, we've been talking to some of them uh we went to the guadalajara book fair last year uh to kind of like sense the 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 like you know sense how how like the the vibes were and there was a lot a lot of interest and i've spoken to just a handful of people that i know 
that publish like normal books, like the, this art book, the, these people who publish these beautiful art books. And then there's this other guy that I spoke to that publishes a fantastic magazine on Mexican culture. And it's a very well-known magazine and everybody admires it. And when I told him, you know, somebody introduced me as like, she does this publishing with NFTs. The guy almost basically like said, I need to talk to you kind of thing, you know, because the, it's a it's a it's a very difficult business and so i'm not saying that this is not going to be a very difficult business but we are in experimenting mode and it's kind of fun to play around with it experimentalism i think is so necessary because i i'm so with you on the distribution mechanism of blockchain being so important for writers because of how gate kept the publishing world is what i am mm, uncertain about is the tech, right? The, the, the reality of reading is that it requires the, the experience has to be preserved. And that's why these things like Kindles and Nooks have so proliferated because they give you some version of that same experience, right? It's hard. I imagine from your perspective and also from mine, like if I wanted to, you know, serves you right is it's a novel, but it's broken up into, you know, pretty self-contained chapters. You can kind of like come back and, and, and pick it up as I've been doing. I'm about halfway through. I imagine, you know, what would, what if you had a, a Tolkien-esque, you know, giant novel with hundreds of chapters, right? That's not going to be able to translate to a desktop, mm -hmm. right? You're, we're relying as writers who are interested in blockchain on the advancement of technology, allowing for better, more accessible, more flexible experiencing of that writing. Yeah. So I'm curious and, um, Colborn, please jump in if you have an opinion on this question, but like what tools need to be released for writing to make a larger impact on crypto art like as and, and, and develop its place in the larger cultural ecosystem? Because my fear is that we'll have this writing. It'll be awesome. You know, the writing will be top tier, but the actual experience of reading it is going to be difficult. It'll be me, you know, going to the New Yorker website and reading a short story and being one of the few people that does that. Yeah. If I may, I think that, well, you got, you got the, the, the kind of the galleys, the digital galleys of the book uh, that no. you're reading. So you can tell me about your experience and I, I would love your feedback. But the first challenge is truly like a very simple challenge is the size of the files, right? Like we do JPEGs. JPEGs are not heavy. Uh, the other stuff that when you want to do more convoluted stuff, then it's like a huge problem, like what platforms support these kind of files. So what needs to happen is like as much support of files of like big freaking sizes as possible. Uh, and even so, you know, like uh, you can... I, I agree that like J.R.R. Tolkien or whatever, is, it, it is going to be massive. But you could also kind of like do installments of, you know, like Dickens used to do installments of his novels uh, back in the day in, in magazines. Mm -hmm. So I think that, the, the yes, it's true that the tech needs to be a little more, more agnostic in terms of like the files. There needs to be better integration of that kind of stuff. Um, I think that the reading experience, what we've tried to deliver is is something, in, an interesting reading experience in that the beginning of the book, you see Mojarra's art, which is like uh, really nice and animated, then the, the index kind of like also animated with some beautiful art. But then once you get to the reading, it's really a very conventional way because we didn't want to distract from the actual text. So so you go, you pass through the pages, you live through the pages and you read the story. 
that's that's the choice that we made for this this first book. There may be other other ways to do it. I am not necessarily a fan of too many bells and whistles when it comes to to like the text, but. Uh, you know, like everything in this space, everything moves really fast, but at the same time, real innovation is kind of like, it, it's kind of a slow. So, 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 you know, right now, I don't know what, what, you know, what has been innovated in terms of like the experience for the user in general, you know, it's, it's difficult. But, uh, but it, again, I feel the, the kind of liberating thing about it is that because it's early, we can try things and we can we can test and we can make mistakes and we can and we can also figure out ways to to present these books in the best possible way so that you know uh to make it yes it's true like for instance you you can read the book on an ROV link that anyone can read we're not talking getting this book so you can collect it, but you can also, it's going to be there for everyone to read. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, like if you, for that, you need basically internet service. If you're on a plane or if you're somewhere without internet, unless that you kind of like, I don't know if it would work without that. But that's kind of like the limitation of, of, of digital life. I mean, it's, yeah. it, 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 that doesn't worry me so much as, as the, the, the fact that, we are so also kind of beholden to certain to certain platforms, like for instance, OpenSea that has very limited like boo 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 boo, 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 boo period. You know, and so it's like, oh my god, to make it look good, it's 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 an issue to make, you know, so so um this, you know, I, I chalk it up to we're still developing even five years. <laughs> I've been here for five years, I'm like, when when is ease of usage when you know it has to be incremental by nature um, colburn have you had any like have you had any experiences with blockchain based writing and if so like can you pick out any positive ones again like it's been so hard for me to, as a writer in web3 to find an avenue for putting out writing that feels i don't know true to the medium itself yeah, you know, I think the earliest experiments were Crypto Mag, the, the wonderful guy at Crypto Magazine, FOMO Magazine, people doing digital art in digital magazines, and they're brilliant. They're on the blockchain, they're collectible. Um, and, you know, that was exciting. And of course, all the innovation people like Sasha Styles did, uh, Anna Maria Caballero, uh, and and the whole verse verse crew really it, it's it that was a surprise for me um you know i was very concerned with visual arts and you know to see other people just use the technology to to record and this is when we max you know we were just talking about the the breadth of crypto art that's for me when it gets really exciting to be honest actually they they were very inspiring to me like what i saw the verse verse at the very beginning that they were doing poetry on the blockchain i was thinking well poetry makes sense because it, you know it's it can be short it's like it's not always short poetry but you you can do it in like like short bursts and it doesn't require a lot of like file size but the idea that people can actually collect poems that you can read poems that you can play around with poems mm -hmm. and they have been evolving it and now they're using a lot of AI, but that was inspiring to, to me. I thought, well, if poetry can happen, then 
literature can happen. It doesn't have to be poems. It can be other other genres. Well, that is where it gets pretty exciting for me. You know, as I've been going back through uh, the Arrowid Experiences database of all these people on all sorts of hallucinogenics and interpreting them as videos with AI. So, you know, when you begin to take the story building that is happening uh, in print and putting a visual language to it that could be co-created with you as a reader or stylized, um, that, that for me seems to be very forward. And I consider all of these you know, text to be databases to later be interpreted as we've found, you know, building the virtual curator on top of your writings, Max, uh, that is, um, that seems to be a new frontier. It's, it's all to me, long form art that is still trying to figure out its place on the blockchain, you know, short gifts, short video files. But when we talk about like narrative television or narrative film or narrative video or any kind of long form yeah. video that requires again it's not just the file size it's the ease of accessing and experiencing that thing when you can't cast an nft to a television or when you can't you know download um a book onto a, a kindle or some kind of like handheld reader um you know something you said before judy that got me thinking is uh building a community around writing the way we can around art and i think about the very beginnings of data, right? Where you had these long planes where people were drawing and then building off others' drawings and having this kind of like collaborative effort to create this like great whole. And it would seem to me that the equivalent experience in writing, that it, that's very hard to come by, right? Yeah. Having multiple people contribute to an ongoing story. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a possibility there that we can combine some kind of like the fan fiction essence. We spoke about this last week, but like this gargantuan underground world of fan fiction with being able to link things together on chain. Um, I mean, is, is writing too personal to be too personal rather to be approached from like multiple angles at once? Or can you jointly collaboratively communally build some kind of written output? I don't see why not. Like, to be honest, and, and you tell me you're a writer too. So, you know, it's a very, it's kind of, it comes from writing is kind of a lonely occupation in a way, but I guess so is ma making visual art. You're, you're in front of your canvas, whatever it is, you're by yourself and you're putting everything in there or out there. And the same happens with writing. I think all of these things can, can completely be explored. You know, it, it, I, I do believe that, uh, I mean, in Dada, we have a whole system that the Dada platform still exists. You can still draw in that way uh, today. And, and um, 10 years after the fact, it's still going on. But, but uh, to, to do, like, people have done these kind of games, like almost, uh, you know, like, like like surrealist writing was somebody wrote a line and then the other person wrote a line like an exquisite corpse but with words lots of mm. lots of things can happen um i don't know i mean i for me personally i would have to feel very comfortable with uh a group of fellow writers where we could really play around with something um I, I don't know how exactly what would the criteria be for that, but it can be a really fantastic, I think, exercise in co-creation 
of a story. I, I, I've written screenplays, none of them produced, but I've, I've attempted <laughs> writing screenplays and I've always done it on my own, but I've gone to workshops where people give you, you know, like they give you feedback and, and, and sometimes that feedback almost are telling you what you should do or whatever. And there are people who write in, in teams, you know, like great teams of screenwriters, like Billy Wilder wrote with like, you know, I don't know, he had some amazing collaborators. Um, I have, to me, I think that's kind of hard, uh, but not not because I'm unable to do it, but I think it has to be like the right dynamic, the right chemistry, the right kind of like, you know, the, this very playful, very loose kind of thing where you, you're not intimidated and you just go like, let's go for it. Um, so that, that would be that would be interesting. But like, I may sound a little bit more conventional, but what I'm interested in is to bring reading and literature to this space. So what, for instance, what Colborn was describing about like this AI stuff, all of that, it doesn't matter like what you're describing, the experiments that uh, uh, Sasha and Anna and all those uh, poets are doing. To me, it brings people back to reading. And as long as it brings people attention to, I could read something that is not only 240 characters or that is not, you know, like <laughs> that is not like some attention span, you know, for, for the attention span of a, of a, of a gnat kind of thing. To me, that's, that's, uh, that's already a plus. And so if it brings that kind of excitement uh, back to, back to literature in some way, uh, and, and also like giving, you know, like, giving opportunities to writers like you or to, or to people who are interested in writing. Um, we, I, we believe like, we're not saying, okay, everybody come and write and this is going to be rareable for books. It's not going to be like that. You know, I, I do believe that, that you know, edit, editorial curation is important. Anybody can self-publish today. I could self-publish in Amazon and so can you and so can you. But I think that, for me, it was important to have the, the validation of somebody who looked at my work and said, I like this novel and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to publish it. I'm going to bet on it. So that's what we would be doing also for, for writers. But the wonderful thing is that it can be in more than one language. It can be short. It can be longer. We can play around with the formats and kind of make it, to me, it's an, a creative explosion. It's, it really is what it is. Visual art is so momentary and experiential. I, when I wrote about um, Daim Al-Yad, I think that was last year, I came across a lot of his art that was purposefully slow art, and it would envelop and change slowly over time, um, which I thought was so interesting because obviously it flies in the face of um, like the glitchy X-copy art, which is so look at me, look at me, look at me, move on to the next thing. Um, if you haven't seen it, there's a piece that Daim created called Ancestral Memory, which is just gorgeous and well worth everyone's time listening if you uh, want to seek it out. Um, mm -hmm. Colborn, I'm curious, if is there a way to jive the fact that we have such a glut of art that requires and demands like immediate experience and then kind of like like that, again, immediate experientialism of visual art with the longer more um exaggerated investment of time that any kind of long-form writing requires or are the two things necessarily at odds with each other i don't know i think there's a reason that you know we we create audio content more and more and people are are here listening and, and wanting to see and interact these are by far mm -hmm. i think our most popular 
content channels. And, you know, I don't want to say like writing is dying, but we know everything is moving in this hyper fast lane where we continue to rewire our brains and it gets more difficult as a person to, to go into that more solitary state when we want to feel so constantly connected. And just to sit down and concentrate is, is really, really difficult. It is. And, and that's like, I think that we're being kind of stubborn in that sense because we we tend to forget that it's a very pleasurable experience. We have, you know, like I, I when I finally pick up a book after looking at all my social media and going through all the blah, blah, blah I'm like, oh, wow, you know, it's so relaxing in a way. It's, it engages your imagination. It, it's a moment of time that you kind of like are, are concentrating on just one thing. And in a way, it's kind of like a conversation with the, with the writer because the writer uh, is describing things and, and, or in fiction, let's say, you know, like characters and situations and places. But your brain is, is putting all the color. You know, your brain is deciding how this character looks like or like what does this remind you of? So it's extremely fabulous for, it's a, it's a really creative Reading is creative, you know, mm. and, and so it, it it engages your imagination, even though you're thinking you it sounds like it's passive or it may feel like it's passive, but it's extremely engaged. It's the most engaged thing. Like I love movies, right? And I love going to the movies. And when I'm at a movie, I'm completely like completely transported and I'm thinking and I'm like trying to figure out like did the butler did it or not, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but reading is almost like it's the it it it's it's it engages more because you put you make all these images in your head. You mm -hmm. know, you it's participatory. You take the words and you translate them into your imagination. So I uh you know I we are kind of adamant that we're gonna try to to remind people that this is an option, <laughs> that reading is an option in your busy life, you know, that may be very enjoyable. So there's a, a bit about the book, and I want to talk about the book itself as well. And it's very much about class. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I'm really excited to ask you this question. So the book is really about class and like how class is very obvious, like on someone's face. And there's a scene in I think chapter three or four, where there's like this great outdoor area, I think outside of a school. And you're kind of describing all these different like socioeconomic oh, yes. classes of people that are yeah. within this one sphere, yeah. but they're all very disconnected from each other. Yeah. Right. They're observing each other, but there is no integration and they're all very clearly delineated. And I thought, wow, that sounds like crypto art. Where, <laughs> you know, we're all in this great commons <laughs> and you have the, you know, I'm going to use the word with heavy air quotes, but like the royalty, these people who are, well-known to everyone who are manifesting magnificent sales. They all seem to have relationships with each other. Um, and then you have these other people who are struggling very mightily to have their work known at all. You have the thinkers who are over on one side. Um, and I'm curious, like Colborn and Judy, I'd like both of your thoughts on that. Colborn, perhaps you can start us off, but like, do you, how do you see that manifesting in crypto art yourself? This like class segmentation? Wow. What a wonderful question. Um, have the rich been chased? I don't know. You know, you kind of see some of these things where there is still, of course, massive pandering to capital, right? Which is which is kind of just sad, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, the nature. 
but at the same time, there is a uh, perhaps there is a performatory element online that I don't want to say removes, but obfuscates mm. class. So there could be people that are performing as if they were one thing, and I think largely it tries to be reductive to the spirit of the movement, which is more human, more absurdist, but, you know, more, more democratic and egalitarian. And I think it, people who tend to posit themselves in classist ways kind of get torn down or can get torn down by the artists. They sniff that yeah, out. Really interesting quick. point. I mean, it, it makes me think we were talking about um, Art Gnome's 2018 article, what is crypto art um, the other day. And he talks about dankness as like the aesthetic underpinning of crypto art, right? And how you have all of these geographies and all these cultures, class, race, creed, age, and what matters most at the end of it is just the success of the individual artwork itself. But, you know, crypto art is so contextual. It's the but context. You know, yeah. It's interesting that you make that analogy because, I mean, I'm talking about like a class structure in Mexico and Mexico City, which is extremely rigid. But the world is a hierarchical place everywhere. You see this same thing in, you know, this scene that you described takes place at the campus of, of a private university. It's a private school. Most people who go there can afford to pay the tuition, but they also have like some of the people who get scholarships and everyone is in their canton, right? Everyone is in their clique, because this is the, the world is like when you're seven years old, there's already a clique. There's already the popular girls and the not so popular. I mean, this is, I mean, somehow it's human and like God knows that people have tried for centuries to get rid of it. And for some reason it, it remains. And when you have like a, a space that is very market driven, uh, where like it's also a very new space where maybe first movers then get a lot of attention or they people who know how to like uh, have a lot of followers all you know there's always going to be an asymmetry you know uh, of of the people who have more who know how to milk uh, the medium better than people who may be very talented but don't know don't exactly know how to communicate uh, successfully on Twitter because they know they don't speak the language. So, so um, I find it, there's a part of it that I can see uh, about like, oh, these people here and those people there and the OGs, but there's a part of it that I also like to ignore. And I, I think that because we're all kind of like communicating digitally and you can be in the completely different side of the world. I don't know how you live. I don't know if you're bloated or if you don't have one cent in the bank. There's a part of it that, that it is a little bit more, uh, that it levels people in a way. And then there's a the part that we create ourselves with our little cliques and our little, you know, uh, enthusiasms for, for some people, but not for others, you know, stuff like that. Certainly. I don't think we can, there's, I don't know that, that that can be changed, but I do think that even so, uh, the crypto art space is a place where kind of you, you get to meet the diversity of people and because everything is kind of very on the surface, you don't know, sometimes you don't know even the, the actual name of the person or where they're actually based. There's a certain... I think to me there, there's a certain more horizontal structure in that. Yeah, I guess it depends on where you're looking. This just evoked yeah. a repressed memory in me 
where I, I know it's, it was very strange <laughs> as you were speaking. I had this memory of being in middle school and we were given this task to like describe in one word, like label all the lunch tables in the cafeteria. And I remember being brought to the guidance counselor because I had labeled the table that I sat at outcasts. And this woman was very concerned as to why I had distinct labels and everyone at my table was an outcast. And I had completely repressed that memory, but that's wonderful. <laughs> but even with the flatness and this quote unquote, like egalitarianism, like, you know, on a, any given GM post, right. If it's some big artist or some big collector and they say GM, the people who move the market, the people who are influential, they'll get the likes, they'll get the responses from this person. And the rest of the people will be shouting into the void kind of in vain. I, again, maybe that's just the nature of the thing. So perhaps we it don't is. need to... I mean, it doesn't have to be. I mean, I think this is what Dada has been trying to avoid for the, you know, like we, we try to 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 do something where it's it's less of that and we treat everyone more equally and all of that. It's, it's very difficult. It's not impossible. Uh, I think people tend to be, people tend to not to be followers in the sense that it feels comfortable to follow what someone else is following. It feels you want to feel like you belong. And in the end, we're all still in middle school. That's the sad, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the sad reality. We are, you know, like we may have progressed in some way, but inside we're still smarting from the girl who didn't invite us to her, like whatever party and for the guy who didn't, you know, like look at us whatever so so yeah. it's it's like a giant uh, web three middle school that's where we are <laughs> well de well described <laughs> uh so slightly different topic but still related to the book so writing in spanish or working in spanish as so many people in the space do i mean we speak all the time about crypto org uh, crypto argentina that is and all the people doing incredible work in like south america um oh non-english speaking countries like it just strikes me as so frustratingly difficult because like so much of the traditional art world, crypto arts language seems to be English. Um, and it takes place predominantly in these same spheres, right? America and Europe, European centric landscapes. So you released this book last year in Spanish, and now you've uh, put out the English speaking version. I'm curious, like, why were you compelled to translate this? And do you think it'll have a different impact in a different language? Well, uh, I'm really curious about that myself. Uh, I, I'm uh, really looking forward to hearing from the readers, but we really, uh, we insisted on doing it in Spanish. We could have done, I could have translated and done it in English and gone out with the English first and then done the Spanish because the market is in English and everybody speaks English. But we really felt that it was important to honor the, the original book and to do this in Spanish to say, this is Web3, it's a global thing, not everything has to be in English. Um, and so we did, and I, I, it's interesting because just the fact that I am announcing announcing it now with its with its English title, and I, I, I get, I can see that there's more engagement and it's, you know, it's, it has surprised me, but I shouldn't be surprised because it's logical. If you see that something is in a different language, well, of course you, you go, it's not that you're not interested, but you, you know, you quickly switch to what you understand. So I'm curious uh, if, you know, like this book is about Mexico City, it's about class structure, it's about racism, it's about, you know, like, uh, you know, Mexican culture, but at the same time, it's a very universal story of, of like a love, it's a love story between two people. And I'm really curious to see uh, like 
uh, how what what the impact is in terms of uh, how people get it or not. But at the same time, I think that there will I I, I can already feel that there is more just in terms of numbers of people, there's more interest because it's in the language that most people speak. So I thought it was important to translate it because again, also I, you know, what a writer wants in this world more than anything else is for people to read what you read, what you wrote. It's, it's not to sell, I don't know how many books, it's not, you know, it's what, as many people as possible to read the stories that you're telling. So I thought, you know, I, we, we thought it would be good to translate it to English. And it was kind of a bit of a challenge, the translation, and I also would love to, 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 to hear from you how, how you feel about it, because the book is written in Spanish, but with a lot of Mexican slang, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of it. And, uh, and so translating slang into English, sometimes there are really great equivalents, and sometimes it's just not. It, it just may lose a little bit of that that richness. Uh, you 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 try as hard to find something that has the same kind of like texture and pungency, but it's not it's not always. Um, it, it is a different language, so I'm curious. I'm curious. I will tell you one of my pet peeves in literature in general is when an artist or a writer rather uses words that are not in English, puts them in like. Uh, within hyphens or within em dashes and then translates it immediately after and i appreciate you not doing that and just letting kind of the spanish kind of sit for the most part because it forces you to kind of realize and ground yourself in the world that it's in um so i appreciate that just with my own Thank sensibilities you. you say that because one of my pet peeves is like there are books by people who like like uh <clears throat> hispanic writers or like latino writers that they use a lot of spanish and sometimes like it's you know the book is in english but it's a lot a lot a lot of spanish and i think you know yes it's good but there's a kind of a nice balance to strike between using the expressions in spanish that are absolutely key or that you know that people understand because people will understand because of the context but mm -hmm. I, thank you for telling that because it's challenging to to translate you don't want to you don't want you want people to understand the entire context and the you know the richness of the references and everything but you also you don't want to treat the reader like they're 2 years old and you need to kind of feed them everything you know yeah you know, totally yeah i get it so yeah. i want to change gears quickly and talk about sex because this book is, yeah, this book is very much, <laughs> that was a funny face, Colborn. Um, <laughs> this book is very much about sex and crypto art is totally anesthetized when it comes to sexuality. And a lot of that has to do with Twitter and the fact that like Twitter de-incentivizes outward displays of eroticism. Colborn, you and I spoke with Pollyanni a couple of weeks ago. And through that conversation, it became even clearer than it was clear previously that outward eroticism is not usually met with acceptance or popularity. It is kind of pushed away. And the kinds of eroticism and sexuality that we see in crypto art is usually of a very like, I don't know, classical marble sculpture kind, right? It's like male photographers or people like nude yoga girl who are in there's innuendo, but there's never the thing itself. So I'm, this is a loaded question verbiage in terms of verbiage but why is it so dangerous in crypto art to engage with sexual content and why are you pun intended thrusting forward regardless so powerfully well i think visual 
like really, I think there is a big difference between visual explicit content and something that you have to read. Uh, because reading, again, everything takes place in your mind. If you want to, you know, if, if you, you can be prudish about it, you can be shocked about it, but it's a, it's a, it's an internal process. But I think that uh, if you, if you do, if you do overtly sexual or erotic content, uh, I think one, I mean, I, I, I don't know, like I, I think of Una, for instance, that that actually it's not, you know, she, it's not that it's erotic content, but she's actually making a statement about, about like the, you know, the commodification of women, the commodification of art, of boobs, of whatever. So that's super interesting. As a woman, I wonder, like, being that this is kind of like the Wild West in terms of like people being anonymous and trolls and stuff like that. I could I could understand if if it's a little bit um, it's a little bit scary because it feels very unprotected. Now I you know I think I've seen work like uh, Yu Yu you know do you remember Yu Yu from in in Korea that he does this amazing amazing very sexual it's he's uh, like like tableaus like with all all kind of. Uh, master's paintings but he inserts himself as this amazingly sexual being in this and i think they're they're amazing so i think that as long as it's mm. not you know as long as it's art in a way as long as it has a meaning like when you you those what una those and I, i'm not that familiar with other people then it's 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 worthwhile uh, because it should be part, uh, you know, eroticism is part of art and there, there's no reason why it shouldn't be there. The thing is, like, we also live in a space where, like, there's there's a great tolerance for really shitty art. I'm sorry, you know, like, there's a great tolerance <laughs> for, for, for totally lazy ass shit that is not art. And so everything is called art. And so it would be, you know, you have to have a certain, uh, you know, accepting that kind of erotica that is that is truly like i don't know high quality is a different level it's not going to be a pudgy penguin you know it's not going to be like uh you know whatever you know like now you're so making me think <laughs> yeah but in terms of writing that's a great thing you know it's a book so it's it's words it's words on a page and it's whatever whatever that effect has on, on your mind. I, I would just like to, to say that the reason why there is sex in the book is because since this is a book that is like uh, critical of a society that is very hierarchical, very rigid, where very like sexually repressed, the only way in which these characters can actually express themselves, their love for each other, that it has to be through that. And and uh, and that's where they realize that they're not that different from each other, that there is a relationship that the entire rest of the world simply does not accept. So there's a reason. It's not you know it it it, it it's not gratuitous. But I I kind of like wanted to be explicit because I feel that in Mexico no one ever talks about these things. And and what Lucia says at some point in the novel, she she says like like the first time she she actually when she pops her cherry, she's like I'm sure everybody does this, but no one talks about it. She's like kind of shocked. It's like okay, this you know because there's no there's no talking about it. So that was one of the things that I I was ex exploring in in with the book, and sure. you know 
I think it's interesting because it makes people a little nervous. It makes people jittery. Coburn, do you think that there can ever be an openness to eroticism in crypto art if it remains sequestered on Twitter? I mean, it's just, it seems to mostly be like, maybe it's just North America's relationship with sex is so prudish. Um, or maybe this oh, is some leave out great legacy Britain. of Catholicism. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, you you start to travel the world and you start to begin to understand how other cultures, people think about sex. And you're like, what is going on in the heads of Americans? You know, it's it's fed as so taboo and it's fed so commercialized that, you know, like money, power and sex are the holy triumvirate of, you know, American exceptionalism. And it's it's just like, it's natural. And until we begin to move past all of this shame uh, and, and return to like, but it, but it is, of course, it's embedded in our media and it's embedded in our tech. And the more they get people to feel ashamed of it, the more likely people are going to, you know, consume around yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like you think America is prudish, <laughs> you know, like I, have I got news for you? Uh, I mean, it feels to me that Mexico is more so in a way, but, but what is interesting is, for instance, if you look at American movies, in the 70s, there were, there were sex in American movies. And, you know, like, it, it's shocking today when you see those 70s movies, you go, what? This would never be made today. I don't know for how long you can't find a sex scene in an American film. And that it, it is, that is, yeah. I bring that up because that is a perfect barometer of, of what you're talking about, is, is the temperature of the culture. And the more, the more... Um, corporate is the culture, the less sex there's going to be because there's no room, you know, the more like sex is freedom in the end, you know, like say, what, what you do with your sexuality, as long as it's consensual, it's no one can take away. It's, it's like freedom of thought. It's the last bastion of freedom in a way. This is why religion is always trying to prevent it, circumscribe it, uh, make it feel like it's a terrible thing because they cannot control it. And so the way to control it by, 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 by corporate standards is basically not to show it, is to completely obliterate any, any, any of it. But on the other hand, like then there's that entire industry of like porn that is, I find quite appalling, you know, that everybody has to go see in their incognito Google or whatever, you know, and, and, and it's like, it's an under the surface, because as 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 Colborn says, there's no real there 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 doesn't seem to be like a a more, I guess a more transparent or a more honest way of talking about it and of, mm. of actually exploring it. So in uh, yeah. in Iron Man, the 2008 movie, uh, you know Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man, and he's this playboy, and he has uh, obviously it's not graphic because it was a PG-13 movie, but there's like directly implied that he has sex with this reporter and this was before disney took over the marvel franchise and to this day that's the only yeah moment in which there was like actually implied sex in any marvel movie all of these characters and a lot of the celebrities that we have in the u.s too they're completely like desexualized um i think maybe that's why so many people love reality television like the bachelor and things like that where it's there it's a part of it I mean, it's displayed a little bit trashier than I think it's is necessary, but 
part of sex is trashy and that should be celebrated as well. Okay, Judy, I have one more question for you before we go. And that is why Mohara for the novel's cover? You know, I have oh, my own read on this, um, but you know, the novel, the, the novel in, you know, capital letters is an inherently static quality and Mohara's art is pop and it's vibrant and it's animated and it's the antithesis of a white paper with black words on it. So I'm curious what led to that collaboration and why? When when we I decided to do it as an NFT, of course, like I had to think of an artist and I swear, I think it took me three seconds to land on Mohara. Um, the reason was because of dankness, actually. The reason was because what, like we were laughing about it because I, I, I love his art and I've loved his art. Like he's been drawing on Dallas since like, you know, for 10 years or I don't know when he came in, like maybe 2015 or 2016. And he, he has this amazing combination that is like extremely elegant line, you know, like, but he can, he can draw farts and people pooping and, you know, like he can draw like the most, like the most like vulgar damn content, but the way it's done is it's delicate. It's it's really, really, he has an amazing, he's incredibly talented. So we, we called it uh, elegant but vulgar or uh, uh, in, in, in Mexican slang, guacala que rico. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, ew, delicious kind of thing. So <laughs> the why I, I, I also thought of Mox is because he has a great sense of humor. And I think that the novel also has a lot of humor in it. And so I felt that his style was perfect. Also because he understands, I mean, he's from Mexico uh, and um, he understands, I mean, it was kind of like, it, it, it doesn't have to be that it had to be someone necessarily from Mexico, but Mox, as I call him, understands the culture. He, he has a great sense of humor and he has that, that quality of, of great delicacy, but at the same time, like one of the illustrations he did for for the you know those bubbles that float on the on the index is yeah. like it's a used condom. <laughs> you know? I didn't tell him. I said, you know, just take <laughs> things from like take like little little objects that are in the chapters. You figure it out. And so there's like a line of coke on a credit card, and there's like a, a, a gun or whatever. But then, like, all of a sudden, like, out of the corner, I'm like, what the fuck is that? It's like, is this used condom? So I love that, you know? Uh, so that's that's why. And I don't agree necessarily with the static thing. I think that, yes, I mean, we made the, the cover to be super poppy. And he, you know, like, this guy, I mean, he did this beautiful job. In fact, we ended up using his design for the cover of the paper book. Uh, but without the naked lady, because we thought that wouldn't be... We couldn't be sell, selling it in, in bookstores. But, um, but I think that uh, we wanted to kind of like present kind of the excitement of the novel and then just get into this story. But the story, I believe, is not static. The story just takes you through this kind of wild journey of these two characters, no? Absolutely. Yeah, I guess just aesthetically was my point, but that was a wonderful answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I... I'm out of questions. Um, personally, Coborn, is there anything you'd like to ask before we shove off out of here? I mean, a million things, but oh, we don't have enough. time for that. Judy, we'll have to have you back in the podcast to talk do. about a million Please more do. things Coborn wants to talk about. Um, 
Thank you so much for your insight, for these answers. This was such a fun conversation. Um, thank thank you. you to everyone who was listening. Uh, we really appreciate you being here with us. Uh, this will be up as a podcast on Friday. If you're watching this with us on a Wednesday, uh, if you like what you heard, perhaps you really like what we do. We'd love if you'd give us a follow or a subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, leave us a five-star rating. Um, put out a Substack column today as we do every Wednesday, our Dear Mocha column, which Judy last I week told it. me that she really loves. I love it. I love those questions. I love it. Love it. And you and you can get that in your own inbox if you visit us at museumofcrypto.substack.com, which we'd really appreciate that you do. Judy, uh, give us some last words before we uh, end tonight's session. Well, Thank you for, for having me. And the book is coming out. Uh, I, you were asking me, do we have a firm date? It's coming out very soon. We're still tinkering with some display issues that we're doing on testing, but it's, it's ready. You saw the galleys. It's, I mean, I call it the galleys. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful object. And stay tuned, everyone, for when we announce. Uh, I would love for everyone to read it. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I'm about halfway through. I had to message Judy the other day and say this chapter was so horrifying and so masterfully written. Would you say horrifying is the goal? Or hor yeah, no, no, I said if, if it was horrifying, I did my job. I mean, that, that, that's music to my yeah. ears. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. We're looking forward to the release. I'm very excited. Um, Gypsy Lou in our chat said Judy's a rock star. Cold War Max, you're both legends. I don't know about oh, that. Definitely the two of them. Best. We will be back soon with another episode of Mocha Live. So thank you again, everyone, for being with us. And we will see you all real soon. Thank Bye. you, Eric. Bye. This podcast was edited and produced by me, Max Cohen. A huge thank you to Judy Mann for being our guest this week. And a huge thank you to Colborn, as always, for being our trusty co-host. A huge thank you to Julian Brangold for composing our intro music, and another huge thank you to Dayfox for composing our cold open music. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for being with us. We will see you real soon on another Mocha podcast.